welcome back to Crimes from the East. I'm your host Pia and with me is Alexa, stateside this time. Hello. <laughs> what is this? Like the X-Files theme with like Indian instruments? Yeah, it's my Bhangra version of the X-Files. I'm in the hills. I'm in the spooky hills of Arizona where I have seen something very much related to our topic today. So I'm, I'm stoked. Was it Border Patrol? What have you seen out there? You know, shining, glowing, mysterious objects in the distance. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yes. Today is going to be a non-true crime episode. I felt like we did so many hard hitters over the last like four or five episodes. We did so many really difficult, tough and heinous crimes. I thought we need a little break. (gasps) We haven't talked about UFOs in a hot minute. It's so non-brutal. It's barely even tangible. I mean, it's who even knows? What it even is. So I was like, perfect. We need this kind of vaporware <laughs> topic today. <laughs> yeah, we need we need a little um we need a little shower after our recent bloodbaths. Before that, tell me how life is going. Tell me what you've been up to. Well, we're on the same continent for once. Hopefully soon we're gonna do a like real life reunion episode. Hey, I'm heading to the East Coast in a couple weeks. That's going to be awesome. But yeah, um, I'm in Arizona. It's hot. I've seen many animals in the wilderness, but no unidentified creatures or objects so far. Keeping my eye out, though. Nice. I must have talked about this last time because it's my only UFO story. The one and only UFO thing I've ever seen was here driving home into the hills. And I saw a big, basically bright light like a giant shooting star that was definitely on our planet, but not a plane. And it was falling like in a very straight line down behind the mountain of where I lived. Yeah. It's landed. It's come to get you, Alex. Yeah. How are you, Pia? You live with a little alien. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my little alien keeps me on my toes. And speaking of her, I've been trying to teach her Hindi since she was born, really. We talked to her in Hindi at home. She understands it. She doesn't always speak it. So I'm trying to like teach her how to say certain words. And man, it's hard because I didn't realize how hard it is to say certain sounds in Hindi. Like we have a Mm -hmm. lot of hard syllables like duh, you know, she can't say any of it. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I can't say any of it. It's an absolute shame. She's still very little, so it's okay. I mean, she'll take time, but I'm hoping mm-hmm. she'll learn. But right now, it's so funny. Like, can you say lurky? And she's like, lurky. 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 Little American A. She, is she an ABCD? See, she's not confused. You know how she differentiates people? Huh? You are either Indian or you're regular. <laughs> We went to this Indian restaurant for lunch a couple months ago and she looked around and she suddenly noticed everyone there is Indian. And she's like, mom, everyone here is Indian. Yeah, it's an Indian restaurant. People like to come eat here. And she's like, where are the regular people? What? 
we're not regular? What do you mean? We're special. <laughs> that's what I'm going to take from it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, we're special. Yeah, you know, it's always good to learn a new language. And in India, most people at least know three languages. They'll have their own mother tongue, like their regional language, because almost every state has its own language. Mm -hmm. Most people will also know some English and some Hindi. Not everyone speaks English and Hindi, but they'll know it because they learn it in school, right? So you at least learn three languages growing up in India, like involuntarily. And I think that helps a lot in like your brain development, like your cognitive skills and stuff. Oh, so yeah. that's great. Unfortunately, I think she's going to pick up like curse words first because I do curse a lot. <laughs> so she's going to pick up all the nice flowery Hindi curses. <laughs> That's about it. I didn't do too much in the last couple of weeks. I think we're ready to get into our topic for today. Right, Alex? Yeah. Let's go. Let's so it. in our last episode on UFOs, we got Daisy with it, and we talked about some of the mysterious reports of strange crafts seen in the skies over South Asia. Today, we're going to continue on with that theme a little bit, kind of, and talk about a few more unexplained encounters in the region. Well, we'll focus mostly on the northeastern part of the Indian subcontinent today, basically the Kashmir area. Um, and we're going to talk about not exactly like True blue disc-shaped UFO sightings. We're going to talk about unexplained orbs and just weird things that happen in that area, okay? And I'm heavily relying on IndiaToday.in uh, for their excellent series of articles on this first sighting that we're going to talk about. Cool. As some people may have heard, the U.S. Senate had a couple of hearings on UFOs or UAPs, as they now have rebranded them, reported in American airspace by both civilians and military personnel. One in 2021 and the other hearing was just last month. And although the hearing seemed like a bit of a farce, they didn't produce too much disclosure from the Pentagon, the Air Force or the military intelligence complex. What it did do is get the entire world talking openly about this long-shunned and ridiculed topic. It's a lot less taboo now to talk about UFOs, and I am living and giving for this change, man, because damn, like, if I ever open my mouth, like, in front of people and I start talking about UFOs and aliens, they're like, hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm, and they, like, slide away, you know? Right. <laughs> now it's okay to talk about it. The Homer Simpson in the bush meme just disappearing awkwardly. <laughs> Yeah, but now that the Pentagon is saying, oh, there may be UFOs, it's okay to talk about it, you know, because it's on the news. You can see it on the news, so it's not so bad. In Feb of this year, the U.S. Air Force shot down four mysterious airborne objects or UFOs. It was all over the news for like a month and then nothing. No news, zilch. Mm -hmm. Media doesn't care about it anymore, which is very suspicious because they refuse to release more information about what they shot down. Yeah, we never got a follow-up. <sighs> no follow-ups. Just, pfft, it's gone. We shot down some uh, weird stuff. Forget about it. Yeah. One of these four was allegedly a Chinese spy balloon. And that somehow floated all over South Carolina and was shot down by the Air Force. 
There were some pictures of the wreckage recovered from the Atlantic Ocean on that Chinese spy balloon. So technically, it's not a UFO. They know what it is. They said it's a Chinese spy balloon. But then there were at least three more publicly known UFOs noted all over North America and Canada, That, by the way, which were shot down by F-22 Raptors. These planes are expensive. It costs a lot of money to run them, to send them on these kind of missions. And each missile that they fire costs at least $400,000. Oh, my God. So they used at least at least three, maybe more, missiles to shoot these things down. Okay? At least a couple million dollars have been spent on this. And the military says they don't know what they were. They have no pictures, no footage, no wreckage to recover. Like, bye-bye taxpayer money. We just blew it up. We have no accountability for this. Weird. This is why I don't think I need to pay my student loans back. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, don't do air, it, but... Alex. What's the point? They're just going to blow it up on missiles. Who cares? <laughs> I don't want to pay Trump's salary if he becomes president again. I definitely don't want to pay for missiles to just shoot birds out of the sky. And these poor UFOs, they're probably doing nothing. Have you ever heard of UFOs attacking anyone? No. They're just observing us, you know, doing whatever scientific research. I mean, there are some stories about abductions and, you know, probings, but mostly I think it's just space tourism. These are tourists. Give them a visa. (laughs) Start charging them money. Like, don't shoot them with missiles. The thing is, all of this could just be super secret drone technology. In this day and age. Who knows? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's totally possible. That some country has such advanced machinery for sure. But where did the technology come from, Pia? Where did the technology come from? They probably reverse engineered it from alien UFOs, which crash landed, I'm sure. At least in Roswell, if not like a bunch of other places. Right? I believe it. I believe in Roswell. I'm sure there was like an alien UFO crash then, for sure. I want to go. It's right next to you. It's next door to you, Alex. Walk over. I know. I should. (laughs) Go check it out. Obviously, countries like China or Russia are not going to reveal their best tech to the world, right? You want to save the best for your espionage and recon missions, just like all other countries do, right? UK, US, India, they all do the same. They're not going to reveal their best tech. But did such tech exist in 2012 or 2004? Probably, maybe, but highly unlikely. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's up to you. What do you believe your government is telling you? Do you believe what your government is telling you? Do you believe they've told you everything they've developed in the last 50 years? Yeah, and it's like the technology that we have as like normal everyday walking on the street human beings has probably existed for much longer than we've been able to access it. Having the technology and making it commercially yeah. available, I think that it could take a long time. Conceivably, it could. So who knows like what technology we're actually capable of versus what we know exists and what's been made like available to the everyday identifiable object, human. Everyday dum-dum. Keep that in mind when we talk about this next story because it could, it could go either way based on that thought. Okay. Now, that year, 2012... 
Several dozens of personnel from the Indian Army and Indo-Tibetan Border Police reported more than 100 sightings of UFOs in Ladakh, close to Pangongso Lake. Now, Ladakh is a region in Kashmir and the north of India. So this is like the northernmost part of India. That little crown shape that you see on top of the Indian map, Ladakh is right there on the east side of it. So it touches Tibet on its eastern side. Mm -hmm. Now, this sits right near the Indo-Tibetan border. And as we know, it is not claimed and occupied by China. So political and military tensions are very high in that area year-round. So if you were to expect (laughs) weird espionage spy recontact, this is the place it would show up. Yeah. Okay. If it shows up in Goa, that's weird. Like, (laughs) why the hell would China want to see a half-naked tourist on the beaches of Goa? That doesn't (laughs) make sense. That's probably a UFO. This could be anything. 50-50. That's exactly what a UFO wants to see. Half-naked tourists in Goa. Now, the Indian Army is equipped with good technology to spot, detect, and track drones. And they had, in fact, recorded 99 occurrences of Chinese drones in the area that year, in 2011, okay? So it's not like they don't know, like, what's that? What's that in the sky? Like, no, (laughs) they knew exactly what a drone is. (laughs) They know what a drone is. It's the Indian (sighs) Army, for God's sake. Like, where do you think all your technology gets invented? Like, who are these engineers who make all this tech? They're mostly Indians. I expect the Indian Army to have, you know, good equipment. Um, However, they also saw hundreds of unexplained orbs, glowing luminous yellow spheres that appeared to lift off from the horizon on the Chinese side and slowly traverse the sky for three to five hours before disappearing. Now, these were not unmanned aerial vehicles or drones or even low earth orbiting satellites as per army officials because they know what those look like. Yeah. Just to point out, like the highest end of consumer drones, commercially available consumer drones, today can only fly for approximately 30 minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 20 minutes, 30 minutes max is what they can fly. So three to five hours just flying around, like traipsing about and then disappearing. Odd, especially in 2011. Mm-hmm. Now, military drones can stay up, like the top-of-the-line ones, can stay up for mm-hmm. almost 20 to 30 hours. Okay, 20, 30 hours. Okay. Today, a decade ago, maybe they were at two to three hours. Battery technology has evolved over time. However, we must also note that these types of long-range drones, they look like chubby planes. Yeah, they got to carry their battery they have wings and rudders and such. They're just unmanned robot planes, essentially. They should not appear like a glowing luminous orb. And also the way in which they fly is not like woo, like a spiral. Like just, <laughs> you know, doing all kinds of gymnastics, Cirque du Soleil in the air. They don't operate like that. I really like your woo-woo sound. <laughs> woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sound effect. Okay, so... Definitely sus. No easy explanation. The Indian Army, they moved a mobile ground-based radar unit and a spectrum analyzer that picks up frequencies emitted from any object to a mountaintop near that 
160 kilometer long ribbon shaped Pangong Lake. So they were curious. They're like, what are we seeing? If this is Chinese tech, we need to get on top of this, right? Mm -hmm. The radar that they had could not detect the object that was being tracked visually, which was interpreted as it being non-metallic. They can see this object, but the radar can't, which means it's an organic thing, maybe, or kind of metal that doesn't exist on Earth, possibly, right? Mm -hmm. The spectrum analyzer could not detect any signals being emitted from them. The Army also flew a reconnaissance drone in the direction of the floating object, but they learned nothing more. Their drone reached its maximum altitude and lost sight of the floating object because it was flying so high. Wow. Yeah, damn. Either it was otherworldly, like E.T. from Mars or, I know, Zeta Reticular or whatever, or like China has amazing technology that is centuries ahead of what India even has right now. Could it have been a stray helium balloon? (laughs) Well, then shame on the army if they can't even detect the gun. A helium balloon. (laughs) Oh, man. A bird that has eaten a helium balloon by accident. This is just some freak event of, (laughs) you know, pollution meeting nature. That has to be a giant bird. You know how large an object has to be for it to be visible in the sky? Yeah, geez. Above, like, 500 feet, you're not going to be able to see it. Oh my god, that makes it really scary. Makes it definitely a bit a bit frightening. And there have been so many sightings of these kind of lights all over the world. And people differentiate this from, say, lights like headlights or lights on a plane. They differentiate between them by saying that the light itself, the nature of the light is totally like unseen. They've never seen light like that before. It doesn't seem like it's being emitted. It seems like the object itself is light. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's like an organic light, if that makes sense. Like pure glow. We need to bottle it. Make a skincare line. (laughs) Like the butt of a firefly, you know? Right. In late September of 2012, a team of astronomers from the Indian Astronomical Observatory at Hanley... I don't know where this is. Where is Hanley? <laughs> uh, 150 kilometers south of the lake. Okay. So they're still in that area of Ladakh. They studied the airborne phenomena for three days. So they sent a team of astronomers, right? The army is like, uh, this is not a drone. This is not a military thing. Maybe it's a meteorological astronomical phenomenon. And they send astronomers to check it out. I'm impressed that they're investigating this. Seriously, yeah. They successfully spotted these glowing orbs several times, but they couldn't conclude or identify what they might be. So again, another team is completely stumped. They did, however, say that the objects were non-celestial and they ruled out meteors and planets. So they're like, this is not the planet Venus, like every debunker likes to call UFO sightings. And it's not a meteor. Because meteors don't go up and down and round and fly around and zigzag and take 90 degree turns. Meteors follow a trajectory. You can predict the path of the meteor. This is not the first time the Ladakh region has had mysterious sightings in the sky. Even in 2004, 14 army soldiers reported sightings of glowing orbs 
and inexplicable lights zooming around in the sky. Border patrol in the Siachen Valley in that area, which is also a very highly charged border area. Mm -hmm. There have been many battles fought there. Mm -hmm. They also reported similar UFOs. The Indian Air Force dismissed the Army's claims of UFOs simply as Chinese lanterns. <laughs> and as usual, we see this even in the U.S. The Air Force, Navy, and Army, they never get along. And they don't miss a chance to dismiss each other. They all have their own hidden agendas and they just want to one-up each other. And Well, if any of you guys, you, you big wigs, need... Need someone to come up with uh, good excuses for UFOs. You know that I am the one to come to with my floating bird helium balloon theories and such. Call me. It became a shameful thing to report these lights officially. So troops, they were ridiculed if they reported it. And they were called naive and gullible for falling for these Chinese psyops. Even though they couldn't prove that it was Chinese technology, they assumed that it was. And they said, listen, you're an idiot if you think this is anything else. You know, ignore it. They're just trying to get a rise out of you. Yeah. So people stopped reporting it, just like in the U.S. Ridicule, shame, that whole disinformation propaganda, it worked. Soldiers stopped reporting it. They were still seeing this. They were just not reporting it anymore. Even the 2012 Army Chief General N.C. Vidge, he angrily dismissed the reports as hallucinations. Um, I don't know. If you have mass hallucinations, like if 10 people are seeing the same thing, I think you're the hallucination for that object. For God's sake, it makes no sense. I've heard about like instances of mass hysteria. We have like the whole Salem witch trials thing. One theory is that it was just a case of like mass madness so that's a strange phenomenon that occurs but this is a visual confirmation that they're giving each other right yeah yeah, yeah. oh can you see that object oh yeah the one that's flying this way and now turning that way like yeah, yeah. it's that can be hallucination those things don't happen so instantaneously there needs to be some build-up and some like yes anding into uh like you know a shared experience that might not really be real. But what is reality? No, we're not doing that. <laughs> and what would they gain from that? What would they gain from these hallucinations, like from reporting it? They would, in fact, be scared if they report it. Like, uh, we don't want to be labeled crazy or whatever. Right. Or, or like, you know, maybe accused of drugs or something. You're not sharing your drugs with the supervisors? Off to jail with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so the military guys who deal with drones and planes apparently can't tell what they're looking at. Fine. Just like people still don't believe the Top Gun pilots of U.S. Navy who saw the gimbal UFOs in the now leak videos from 2004, the ones you keep seeing on in the news. Those are Top Gun pilots who reported it. Some of the best pilots on this planet. And people still don't believe them. Who've seen shit. If anyone has experience. <laughs> fine. Don't believe the military. That's fine. How about scientists? The very people who are supposed to study this. Okay. Would you believe them? Would you believe scientists? I feel like they're the ones on the most drugs. The good stuff. The good stuff. Yeah. They can make their own LSD. <laughs> <laughs> In 2004, a five-member team of geologists and glaciologists, 
glaciologists. Uh-huh. Scientists who study glaciers, basically. Led by Dr. Anil Kulkarni of the ISRO, which is the Indian Space Research Organization, uh, center from Ahmedabad. They were on a research trip through the barren Samudra Tapu Valley in Himachal Pradesh. Now, this is the state right under Jammu Kashmir. So, that northernmost part of India, the state that borders that state, Himachal Pradesh. Beautiful state. Okay. Just wonderful, wonderful. Let's go. This is a rocky mountainous valley with almost no trees, no shrubs, no habitation whatsoever. The only way to get to this valley is by hiking for eight hours from a famous lake called Chandratal Lake. We're going to talk about this later. Mm-hmm. And this is a somewhat popular and sacred lake where other mysterious phenomena is said to occur as well. And we'll talk about it just in a little bit. Okay. So yeah, after hiking for eight hours in like a barren valley, you get to this spot. So you can just imagine how remote this is and uninhabited it is. I want to go to there. Damn, like after we settled in the US, I found out so much about India and I'm like, God, I wish I was back in India so I could travel to all these beautiful places. Now I have to spend like $5,000 to fly there and go see it. Just to go, yeah. On this research expedition, these glacial scientists and geologists were studying satellite data for the basin of the valley located 17,000 feet above sea level. It is very high up there. Okay, so there's some altitude, right? Yes, the air is thin. There's less oxygen than at sea level. There's nothing there to protect you from the elements. It's freezing cold. It is windy. It is sunny as well. So it's a harsh climate in that sense. So on September 27, 2004, the last day of their week-long study, at 6.45 a.m., one of the porters who helped carry all the luggage shouted out. He said, the snowman is coming! It's so funny. Like, where are you keeping your stash, dude? (laughs) (laughs) This is something my toddler would say. Like, mama, that snowman is coming. (laughs) But yeah, that's a weird thing to hear. Like, if you're that scientist inside your tent in this barren valley with like not even a single tree. The snowman is coming? What? This turning into a Yeti? Is this turning into a Yeti episode? What's going on? So Anil Kulkarni, the senior ISRO scientist who had studied glaciers for more than 25 years. So he's an accomplished scientist just to establish that. He came out of his tent to inspect the commotion along with his teammates, SK Singh, Sunil Dhar and Rajesh Kalia. What they saw stunned them and made them question reality for a minute. They saw what appeared to be a humanoid robot-like figure floating a few inches above the ground, approaching the camp along the mountain slope. Now, Kulkarni and his co-researcher Sunil Dar pulled out their digital cameras and they began shooting the object as the team raced towards the mountain to investigate. They started taking pictures and they're running towards the snowman, which they described as an oblong object between three and four feet high. It kept moving down the slope towards the team. It had a cylindrical head with two balloon-type attachments on the side, a body, hands, and two legs. Wait, what? 
It seemed to be walking. Is it Mickey Mouse? This sounds more like the Pillsbury Doughboy to me. Two balloon type attachments. A cylindrical head with two balloon type attachments. It's Mickey Mouse. It's white Mickey Mouse. Ghost Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse in a stormtrooper's outfit. Is it um, Papi Pedro? The Mandalorian was floating down the mountain. It's the Mandalorian. Stormtrooper Mickey Mouse had two legs. It was walking. Walking. It was planting and pacing its steps exactly like a human being. It's terrifying. This is what I think makes this a genuine experience or a genuine witnessing of something otherworldly. Because if it was a balloon... A balloon just bobs up and down, okay? Even yeah. if it's like a balloon shaped like a man, it's just going to like bob up and down, up and down, up and down, and that's it. But they can see the feet-shaped whatever appendages. Phalanges. Planting on the ground, like knees oh bending. Oh, it's like a monster. No, it's cute. I want to meet this thing. I'm not afraid of it. I want to go see it. Cute things that are not supposed to be somewhere are scary, though. No, no, no. No, no. Come on. Yeah, it's like if you were scuba diving and you turn around and suddenly, just to stay on theme, Mickey Mouse is there. That would be terrifying. Yes, Mickey Mouse in the ocean would be weird. I agree. So Mickey Mouse just in the middle of nowhere in the mountains? No, thank you. Pass. I will see you in Disney, Mickey. Not in the mountains. Not here for that. Not in the mountains. All right. So. Might I add, they did say this thing was floating above the ground. Almost like gravity didn't have an effect on it. You know what I mean? Like this is how maybe the astronauts walk on the moon. Right. It was like air swimming. Air walking. The kind of walking you do in your dreams, you know, where you're trying so hard and you're barely making a, a step. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So when the object reached the bottom of the hill, it seemed to suddenly notice its audience of shock scientists a mere 150 feet away. So they got really close to it. It stood still for a few seconds, turned. OK, it turned. And then started a steep 70-degree ascent towards the ridge top against the wind direction. So when it observed them, it turned and fled back up the mountain. Okay. Let me tell you, no goddamn weather balloon can do this. Especially because these scientists knew where they were. They knew exactly how to read their environment. Mm -hmm. They reported that it moved against the wind. Okay. This is not a balloon. Yeah, this is something with some muscle. By this time, apparently due to the rays of the sun, its color had changed to black. So it reacted to sunlight. The color changed to black. Imagine a white stormtrooper Mickey Mouse has now turned black. Okay, scary. But as it went back into the shadows, it turned white again. That means it's using solar energy for whatever it's doing because it's processing it, right? It's reacting to it. And it's like very sensitive to light too, maybe. The robotic object then hovered above the camp for a few minutes before silently receding into a white dot into the sky. So it flew away into the sky. What do you think, Alex? 
So I am really bad at distances and I don't have like a good concept in my mind of how far away 150 feet is. Like how much can you see of something that's 150 feet away with the naked eye? Because it doesn't sound like a lot to me, but it also sounds like maybe it's a lot. It's not a lot, actually. Like people with generally good eyes or good glasses can't see that much. Not me, but other people can. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what did it look like? I have some of the pictures, Alex. You don't (gasps) have to wonder anymore. Oh, my God. They took pictures. I wonder what it was up to. It was really disturbed by a human presence, too. Oh, what? It looks like a little jellyfish. It is kind of humanoid shape. That looks like an arm. Those Uh look like its feet. It looks like it's got some kind of a backpack. Maybe that's its head. You know what it reminds me of? Yeah. Little spirit creatures from Princess Mononoke, I think. Or one of the Miyazaki. They're like little wood sprites. Mm. One thing's for certain, it is a physical object. And that does not look like any balloon I've seen. Wow. Wow. What is that? That's like one foot. It's bent. And look, the color seems to be changing on it. Oh, man, what is this? Does it have a bit of red on the top, or is that just, like, me not seeing the photo very well? These pictures are made for ants. They're, like, not even an inch tall. But this is what you had in 2004, I guess, so I'm not, like, holding it against them. It's kind of the question for me is, like, why is it walking when it can fly? That means it was interested in something on that mountaintop. It was getting a closer look. Maybe looking for something, minerals, resources, a chipmunk to eat. I don't know. Yeah. But it definitely came close to inspect something. Did you see Nope? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm feeling the Nope vibes today. That was such a Mm. fun UFO movie for me. It was. It was totally different from any other sci-fi movie ever made. It was very interesting. So this could be something like that. Is this an mm-hmm. like an organic being that just exists in our world? We just don't know about it because it's good at hiding, maybe. Maybe it was the Yeti, Super Yeti. Or was this like a recon mission and he came out of a UFO and was looking for something on the ground? Yeah. I wonder how those scientists are today. Now, could this have been just a balloon caught in the wind? No, the scientists did not think so. One of the geologists, Rajesh Kalia, thought that it didn't look like a man-made object at all. So even like their perception of the shape of it, the look of it, and the way it moved seemed off to them. Like, you know, your eyes can tell when something's not right. Yeah. He got that feeling this wasn't a man-made object at all. And I believe them because they are scientists, right? They've got a rational mind. They're not easily persuaded into believing things. These guys were probably the best witnesses that one could have asked for for a sighting like this because they can analyze everything that they're looking at. For sure. In an effort to rationally examine their sighting and investigate its technological feasibility, Two of the witness scientists, Sunil Dhar and Anil Kulkarni, 
they contacted several advanced robotic labs all around the world to get an idea of how far robotics had come and if such an unmanned rocket man could be human-made technology. Mm-hmm. This is what a scientist would do. They would mm-hmm. study their sighting and that's what they did. They wanted to find out if this is just some prototype being tested out in this barren valley. And they found no such evidence. They found that we still don't have any technology that can so effortlessly maneuver all over a steep rocky mountain slope like that and then fly off into the sky. It does not exist. Even today, I mean publicly, definitely not in 2004. We couldn't have asked for better witnesses for this uh, stormtrooper Mickey Mouse. Yeah, trained observers, basically. Now, the government and military simply filed the sighting away and really couldn't do much about it, owing to the remote location and how inaccessible it is for most of the year. It's covered in snow. It's freezing. It's cold. Now, the entire area, this entire region of northeastern Kashmir is mystic. It's sacred to people and it is plunged in tales of otherworldly sightings. Now, let's talk about the Chandratal Lake that we mentioned earlier. Or Moon Lake, Lake of the Moon. It is near the same Samudra Tapu Valley that the humanoid UFO was seen, but it is in the state of Himachal Pradesh. So the neighbor. It's like a couple hundred kilometers away. This beautiful crescent-shaped lake and its surrounding valleys in the lap of the Himalayas are stunning. Despite being somewhat barren, it is majestic and bound to inspire you to introspect and reflect on life. People make the long and dangerous journey here to marvel at the night sky, where you can see the Milky Way with astounding clarity. Okay. Locals believe that fairies descend from the skies and frolic in the lake at night. Oh. Now, this lake is a crater lake formed by meteor impact, and many people have sighted glowing orbs flying around here. And that's why they have these stories of fairies descending and frolicking here in the night. A travel blogger from India posted a video detailing his group sighting in 2015 right by this lake. Ronnie and Bardi is the channel's name on YouTube. At noon on a bright sunny afternoon, they were sunbathing outside their tents next to the lake and they saw a white balloon-like object, maybe 10-15 feet in diameter, flying above the lake before them, so not too far away. As they traced the path of the balloon, it kept getting closer to them and descending towards the bottom of the hills where they were laying. Within a minute or so, the object rapidly descended into an outcrop. It swooped and swirled in motion and it vanished into the rocks. Okay, now Ronnie and his friends, they ran to the spot and they searched among the rocks and barren grassland, but found absolutely nothing. The mysterious object had disappeared as if by magic. So what the hell was it? Even if it was nothing more than a weather balloon, they would have found evidence of it, right? Where would it go? Like I said, there are no trees here. It's all barren, flat, just full of rocks and like maybe an inch of grass. They would have seen. Yeah. A deflated balloon lying on the ground. Right. Couldn't find a single thing. And multiple people witnessed this. So at least five of his friends saw this. Again, not a hallucination. It was a physical object flying towards them, disappeared into the ground. 
The mystery is in its bleeping out of our plane of existence. That's the mystery, right? Now, seeing objects, yeah. it could be anything. Right. But usually you see it come and you see it go. Yeah. Still pretty freaking mysterious, but it zapped out of our world. <laughs> it's just bleeped yeah. out. Bleep. Pia, here's my theory. Yeah. Go ahead. It mm -hmm. was a bubble. A 10-foot long bubble? You know, some like soap factory exploded. One stray bubble caught in the wind. Where? In the Himalayas? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, a really big one. And of the millions of bubbles, one survived, got to this point, and, it, you know, made its final descent before popping. Okay, sure. <laughs> See, CIA, call me. I'm full of ideas. I've got an explanation for every single event. Mystery solved, I guess. You know, we're just solving things left, right, and center today. What a life. I mean... Okay. Now, these objects are either completely unaffected by our presence, or they deliberately make themselves seen by people. One thing is common. Afterwards, the witnesses never forget this. They are forever changed. They are left with millions of unanswered questions and wondrous awe for this world. They are unsettled when they see things like this. Now, if you think that these two spots are magnets for UFOs and orbs, I've got another one for you, Alex. The sacred Mansarovar Lake, which is also in this general area. This entire region, just mysterious and strange. Spooky dookie town, yeah. I want to go, and I want to see some orbs and aliens, and I want to, I don't know, ride a donkey. How are your lungs, by the way? <laughs> are you got strong lungs? Because you definitely need them in this, in this area. It's like 15,000 feet above sea level. They have, I think, like 60% oxygen. Oh, my God. Very I tiring. Mean, we do have a family of history of asthma, don't we? <laughs> so probably mm. could be better. Could be worse. I know I won't make it as much as I want to. Yeah. I have the lungs of a sparrow. I can't do this. I know. I think everyone's just tripping balls from altitude. That's what's really going on here. That's the thing. Alone? Yes, I agree. That's possible. Group sightings? That alone is a phenomenon. If they have a group hallucination, maybe that's the phenomenon we should be studying. Not so much the object they're seeing. Yeah. But the fact that they can share a visual experience that doesn't exist. Maybe that's the phenomenon. Okay. Mansarovar Lake is a high-altitude freshwater lake fed by the Kailash Glacier next to ultimate supreme of all mountains in India. Well, wait a minute. This is not in India, but for India. <laughs> Mount Kailash. Oh. This is one of the most sacred mountains for Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, and Bon people of the world. Mount Kailash is considered to be the abode of Lord Shiva wow. and his wife, Goddess Parvati, where he sits in perpetual meditation. So Shiva is apparently the only god who resides on planet Earth. The other gods, the creator and the... Perpetuator. Perpetuator, yeah. So Brahma and Vishnu don't live on Earth. They live in their own planes Okay. Shiva is the only god who lives on earth, apparently in Mount Kailash. 
he's supposed to be in perpetual meditation there. And if he ever wakes up from that meditation, we are dead because he will destroy the universe. He is the destroyer. Right. If he wakes up, yeah. he's going to do his Tandav dance and lights out for all of us. We're dead. Damn. So if you plan okay. to go up near this mountain, be very, very quiet. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny that we are <laughs> getting to this part of the story because earlier when you were describing the, the Mickey Mouse UFO. Yeah. At first, you were describing it as like a long, oblong object. And I was going to say it's a shivalingam descending. Mm, yeah. Wow. Okay. Kind of. Except this thing had legs and like Princess Leia buns on the side of his head. Yeah. yeah. After you <laughs> finished the description, I was like, no, it's Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Stormtrooper Mickey Mouse. It's white. Stormtrooper Mickey Mouse. <laughs> okay. So. There is a known phenomenon of lights or glowing orbs that can be seen dancing over this lake Mansarovar. They fly around playfully and then dive into the water, sometimes for minutes, sometimes for hours, and then they just disappear. They fizzle out. It doesn't occur every year, but those that have seen it never forget the experience. Go on YouTube and check out some of these videos. There's one that's like 12 years old. I've seen it so many times over the decade. It's called Mansarovar Light. They know this happens, okay? Because this hasn't just started. It's been happening for hundreds of years. So this is pre-drone era that we're talking about. Yeah. These lights have been reported. So people actually who go there to do their pilgrimage around Mount Kailash, they stop at this lake to take a dip in the holy lake and they stay up at night to watch these lights. It's a known thing. Definitely pre-drone. Yeah. This is what gets interesting. Like, we often question why we don't get sightings of UFOs from India. This is why. The answer is people equate them to sightings of a divine nature. Mm. Okay? It isn't an ontological shock like to a Western observer. Mm -hmm. It is almost a known or expected occurrence of which people have heard tales since they were children. So this is not like, mm. oh my God, lights in the sky. To them, it's like, wow. This is Lord Shiva. He's, yeah. he's blessing us with his presence. This is God as Parvati. We have heard about this since we were kids. You know, our grandpa and grandma told us about this since we were like two. So it isn't so out of their own realm of belief, faith. It's in their wheelhouse. That's a really interesting point too because like globally, a lot of sightings probably have been interpreted in that way. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is like where our certain concepts of religion even come from is like, you know, unexplained events, sightings, visions that we interpret and then, you know, try to put meaning on. See, we're not experts on religion and their origins exactly. We're just pondering on what it could be possibly and why we don't hear of things from India. It's not like it doesn't happen here. It's just interpreted yeah. differently by the people. They take it in. They don't throw it out. They take it in. They accept it. It's okay to them to see light in the sky. They're not sitting all night thinking, oh, my God, that was an alien. They think, oh, <laughs> that was a divine, a celestial being. I'm blessed yeah. to see it. You know what I mean? Right. But they're not calling CNN like, oh, my God, I saw a light in the sky. They're telling their or friends and Ufan. family, I was blessed yeah. by a divine presence. It's a welcoming culture in that sense, you know, to all these phenomenon mm -hmm. that other, others call strange or weird. 
Now, who's to say what is real? Your perception is your world, my friend. In Hindi, we have a saying, Ye dunya maya jal hai, which means this world is a web of illusions. And I do believe in that. We form our own worlds, mm-hmm. we manifest our visions. Some call it aliens. Maybe your ancestors call them gods. <laughs> Who knows? What's the difference anyway? We don't know any better. We don't know what we don't know. Some people think cilantro tastes like dirt and other people think it's delicious. Who knows? I feel so sorry for those people. Cilantro is one of the best flavors in the culinary world if you don't like cilantro. Oh boy, I don't even know what to say to you. I hope that our UFO perception of the world isn't dirt cilantro. I want to have delicious cilantro UFO visions. You know what I mean? I want cilantro chutney version of these UFOs in my life. Yes. (laughs) Since we're here at Mount Kailash, let's talk a little bit about some of the mysteries surrounding this mountain, now part of two countries, Nepal and Tibet. So Mount Kailash isn't part of India. It never was. I mean, India was recently formed like 70 years ago anyway, but geographically, it's now part of Nepal and Tibet. Is that according to, like, the white colonial devil's delineations, though? It is. Historically, that entire region was part of Tibet. Like, the Tibetan king Mm -hmm. distributed, like, that entire region among three of his sons. And so one of his sons ruled over Mm -hmm. this area. But there was no, like, walls or limitations on who could enter because it's been historically a sacred spot. It's not a new thing. Thousands of years, people have been going here. No one has stopped them from doing this, regardless of what the geopolitical ownership of the land may have been. Right. It's a place of spiritual significance, and it is considered Axis Mundi or Mundi. I don't know how you say this word. Axis Mundi or pillar of the world, center of the world by Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, and Bon people. So according to them, this is the center of the world. Mount Kailash is where the physical earthly realm beats the spiritual or heavenly realm. Cool. So it's kind of like where two dimensions are clashing or converging. Yeah, that's awesome. It is considered the center of the world tree. So have you seen the visual of the world tree? It's like this huge tree, like a banyan tree with like roots coming down. And you'll see it often in like even Norse mythology and all kinds of ancient mythology. Mm -hmm. So Mount Kailash is supposed to be the center of that world tree. Now, nobody can climb this rocky snow crop mountain. Several have tried and failed due to strange circumstances. As if an unseen force was preventing them from getting to the summit. In ancient texts, it is said that no mortal may set foot on the summit because that is the abode of the gods. Even today, climbing the mountain is forbidden by Nepal and China since it is located in Tibet, which is now occupied by China. So both countries do not allow anyone to climb it. And I'm not convinced the Chinese haven't tried to climb it. They really do enjoy pushing boundaries, you know. So I don't know. Have they done it? They won't tell you. They also like rules, right? They love rules. They probably were like, you know what? If you say we shouldn't climb, we're not going to do it. We agree. Right. (laughs) 
decades ago, many climbers tried and failed to summit. Okay, now back in the colonial era, of course, British climbers tried to conquer this thing because, you know, they gotta. They just gotta do it. There's a mountain, I gotta climb it. Screw like millions of people and their religious beliefs. So one of the colonels, uh, I think his name was like Colonel Wilson or something. He tried to climb. He said he had even like found the perfect path to get up there. He's like, oh, this is easy. I'll make it in no time. And just as he started, heavy snowfalls stopped his expedition. He had to turn back. Out of nowhere, the snow just started falling. He had to leave. And he's like, okay, I take that as a sign. I'm not going to do it. Even in the 80s, certain climbers were given opportunities by the Chinese government to climb it. They couldn't do it. So weird. One of them refused because it was a sacred spot. And thank God, I think his name is Reinhold Messner, one of the greatest mountain climbers in the world. I respect that. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to climb this because it, it means something to people. I don't want to disrespect them. I respect that. Yeah, so even the people who have tried to climb it, they they would find themselves turned around, going in the wrong direction all of a sudden, find themselves teleported to further below than they had climbed. They felt discombobulated and dizzy, and the weather would turn worse out of nowhere. So something was preventing them from climbing it, basically. Mm-hmm. It has been reported that somehow you age much quicker near the nearer you are to Mount Kailash. So two weeks worth of hair and nail growth can be seen here in just two days. That's what people say. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, so there's some kind of like a time warp going on around Mount Kailash. People often go into a blissful state and get sleepy near this mountain. All of this sounds like there is definitely something powerful in that big wall of rock. Like, is it some unknown geophysical anomaly? A buried UFO, secret alien base? Like, what's going on here, man? I don't know. What do you think, Alex? I think it's the water. I think there's there's growth hormone and LSD in the water. <laughs> it's ergot. It's the worms. Maybe maybe there's uh, tear in the dimension and there's some nice interdimensional soup. Spillage. It's possible. Like maybe there's a really strong magnetic force in that yeah. mountain. Actually, they do say the compasses stop working around the mountain. So that's mm. possible. There's something in the mountain that has its own like weird magnetic field its own gravitational anomaly going on and that's why you feel all these weird things around it yeah who needs bermuda (laughs) yeah we've got kailash and and trees apparently a russian scientist called er muldasheva did an expedition of the kailash area obviously he didn't climb it but he studied it Mm -hmm. and he claimed that the top of the mountain is actually a man-made pyramid what he said that the four sides are too perfectly like pointed and constructed to be like a natural phenomenon now nobody else has ever claimed the same thing so i take that with a cup of salt for sure like yeah maybe it is who knows we don't know what's more interesting is that people seem to be enraptured by this mountain throughout the ages like moths to a flame so there is something there we just don't know what 
but we just have to go there. You know what I mean? It's like we have to be there. We have to do the pilgrimage. There is a power there. People feel it. Everyone feels it. Yeah, that's cool. There are other places in this world that are at higher altitude and have like taller mountains. This is 6,000, um, I believe 6,000 feet shorter or lower altitude than Everest. So it's not that formidable in terms of its height mm-hmm. and its location. Mm-hmm. It just has that aura around it that you won't find in other places. So there is something yeah. in Mount Kailash. We just don't know what. Well, I'll tell you something that I do know now. Mm-hmm. So I've got my next India trip planned. Uh-huh. I'm all about the not climb the mountain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep an eye out for Mickey Mouse and <laughs> bring my own water. Your nails. You'll have a nice manicure. Oh, They grow really true. fast. I can, I can get some hair growth. <laughs> sounded weird i can i can grow my hair out all the bald people should head to mount kailash oh we should start like bottling i don't know some herbs from the mountain sell them there's barely any growth there there's no herbs just dirt and rocks and ice and water we can make a a rock potion (laughs) all right well yeah that's super cool what a spooky fun place Those are just some of the weird and strange phenomenon in the Himalayan region of the Indian subcontinent. Hope you enjoyed that, Alex, and I I hope our listeners enjoyed it too. I sure did. Here, I got a few pictures I wanted you to see. This is the Chandratal Lake. It is beautiful. Beautiful. Can you see it? Yeah, that looks amazing. It's got that glassy, like mirror-like quality of the water. And this is Mount Kailash. I don't know why these Bollywood guys always go to Switzerland. They should just come here for those mountainous shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't appreciate what you have. You don't appreciate what's in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. I, Kailash looks like it has steps. It sort of reminds me of the, like, Mexican pyramids that are... Mm-hmm. In steps. It's cool. Yeah, the Temple of the Sun. I think it's called like Tihuatikulan or something. Tihuatikulan. Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan. We're just just making shit up at this point. But there is a Temple of the Sun. The pyramid looks very similar to that. Yeah, it's got steps. Super cool. And we can't find out if it is a pyramid because China won't allow you to climb it. Hey, that might be one of the good things. Let's keep some mystery. (laughs) Yeah, China, protect Mount Kailash with everything you got. Please protect it. We can't wake up Shiva. Mm Mm-hmm. Not yet. We gotta mess up the planet just a little bit more, and then maybe we can give Shiva a nudge and ask him for a do-over. We'll be like, Shiva, please control all delete this, please. Yeah, let's reboot. (laughs) Factory reset, please. We're done. (laughs) We've made a mess. Okay, so that was it. Um, I'm just going to do a very quick Bollywood uh, corner today. There really aren't that many good (laughs) sci-fi movies 
made in India, unfortunately. But this one was very interesting. They have mixed like parts of Indian mythology with sci-fi and like interpreted it as a space movie. So it's called Cargo. Made in 2019. It was yeah. on Netflix. It's probably still there now. It has Vikrant Massey, who's an excellent actor, and Shweta Tripathi in the lead roles. These are supposed to be like scientists who work in a space station. Mm-hmm. And they work for post-death transition services up in space. Basically, they help in the reincarnation of souls. Wow. <laughs> the treatment of this entire premise is done as if they are like astronauts up in space so i know that sounds weird but just give it a try it's an interesting movie that's such a cool like sci-fi spin on reincarnation i love it it's just so cool it's an amazing rendition of some of the hindu mythology of reincarnation go check it out it's called cargo awesome yeah and that's all i had for today you got anything else alex well, that's it for me. I'm going to be looking out for, for orbs and aliens out here in the in the Arizona mountains. I hope you find some and I hope they don't find you. <laughs> Stay safe. <laughs> Only if they're nice. <laughs> yeah. And let us know what you thought about this episode. It is weird and strange, but you know what? So is the world we live in. A little escapism never hurt anyone. Enough of blood and murder. Let's take these little breaks and enjoy these uh, strange topics, eh? All right. So join us again for another episode. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me stop here. You got to tell them to do the stuff, Alex. Do the stuff, my people. Um, mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram and check out our website. We are available on all of the podcast listening services or mm-hmm. all the ones that you should be listening to anyways. Um, so like rate, review, show your support on those. And uh, if you really like what we're doing, feel free to become a Patreon and get access to extended cuts. And sometimes we have other little bonus things for our Patreon. We're working on that all the time. And and yeah, I think those are the things, right? Yeah, spread the word. And that's about it. Join us again for another episode of Crimes from the East. Your Desi True Crime Podcast with a little masala and spy <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. Bye.